Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like him. Matthew 6, 9, the Lord's Prayer. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all today. It's weird. It's been a month since I have preached in person here. Um, so if I, if I fail today, if I like, then please give me grace because, you know, it's been a long time. All right. I was honestly a little nervous stepping up here today. Um, we are in an election year. In case you didn't know, the midterms are coming up and we will be inundated with campaign ads uh, very soon. If you're not already, I mean, we don't watch like regular TV at my house, so I don't know how many ads are out there yet. Um, but I'm sure if you're on the regular networks, they are plentiful. We're getting stuff in the mail for different candidates and different things. And every election year, I am tempted to just abstain completely, right? Especially when it comes to like presidential elections, big, big, big thing elections, like local elections I like. But when it comes to <clears throat> presidential elections and even representatives and senators and whatnot, I am every year just tempted to say, you know, I'm, I'm abstaining this year. And, and it's a principled abstention. It's not like laziness because we live in Colorado where it's like the easiest thing in the world to vote, right? Um, for me, it's a principled abstention. Like there's no candidate out there that is going to bring about the kingdom of God, so I might as well not choose one. Now, I end, up, I end up voting all the time. I end up voting in every election, and I try to vote my principles as much as I can in line. Let me, let me be clear right now. There is not a party that is in line with the Christian vision of the world. There is not a party that is totally in line with what Jesus wants for the world, period. Both parties are good in some ways and bad in other ways. So don't even bring the partisan stuff in here right now, right? But every year, I look at the options on the slate, and I'm like, man, I don't even know. Maybe this year I should just abstain. And every year, friends of mine argue with me about whether abstention is actually a thing you can do. Because every year, my friends on the right will say, well, if you abstain, that's just a vote for the left. And my friends on the left will say, well, if you abstain, that's just a vote for the right. And I'm like, you're, you're saying the same thing. You cancel each other out. So my abstention actually means something, right? Choosing to abstain principled actually does mean something because you guys are arguing about it. But every year I'm, I'm tempted. And I'm tempted to abstain, like I said, because there's nobody on the slate who's going to bring about the kingdom of God. There's nobody on the slate who's going who's to bring in the principles of Jesus and apply the principles of the kingdom of God perfectly and reform our society into what God always wanted. And so I'm, I'm tempted to abstain because my loyalty, my allegiance belongs to King Jesus above and beyond anything else. Above and beyond my country, my family, this church, my loyalty to Jesus transcends absolutely everything. He's the one who orders my life, and it's his vision of the world that I'm pursuing. Not any particular politicians, not even my friends. I'm pursuing Jesus' vision for the world, and so I'm tempted to abstain. But I'm tempted to abstain because of that loyalty, because I've picked a side. I've planted my flag firmly 
in the kingdom of God and said, this is where I stand. This is who I belong to. This is where I am. And in my mind, that's the only loyalty that ultimately really matters. Because when it comes to the spiritual realm, when it comes to the spiritual world, when when it comes to our souls, we have to take a side. We can't abstain. We can't be neutral. You can't be Switzerland in the spiritual war that is happening in the world all around us all the time. It's not possible. We will take a side one way or another. Even in not taking a side, we are choosing a side. We're choosing all that opposes King Jesus and all that opposes his vision for the world. Now, this isn't me just making this up. This is the biblical worldview. And I think where we live in our democratic republic in our secular society, we lose sight of this. And especially in some of our more progressive circles, in, in some of our more you know, evangelical circles that aren't tied to this one particular partisan politics or, or culture, we, we sometimes lose sense of the fact that we are truly in a spiritual war. We exist, we live in the midst of a spiritual war. And Jesus came to take sides in that war. In fact, Jesus represents one side of that. And, and this is only a two-sided war. There's, there's not multiple different ways. There's not multiple different parties. There's not multiple different factions. There's Jesus. There's everything opposed to him. This is the biblical worldview. This is how the scripture lays out the supernatural situation we find ourselves in right now. And we don't need to look any further than Ephesians chapter 6 to get this. Here... In Ephesians chapter 6, toward the end of this letter to the church in the city of Ephesus, the Apostle Paul writes, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. This is the Apostle Paul's call to arms for the church. It's really a call to defense for the church. He's laying out this worldview that is pervasive throughout the scriptures. That you have the kingdom of God And the kingdom of the world, or the kingdom of Satan, or the kingdom of the devil, or the kingdom of evil, or whatever you want to call it that is opposed to the kingdom of God. And that's all. Those are the two options. In the Old Testament, this took on physical manifestation. In the Old Testament, this was physically manifested in the kingdom of Israel, and ultimately the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, and every other nation on the earth. And the idea in the Old Testament was God, Yahweh, the creator God, was the God over Israel, and every other nation was ruled essentially by demons. Every other nation had as its head some supernatural being. Thank you, Terry. (laughs) I appreciate it, man. Um, I chugged a bunch of water before I stepped up, and I'm still phlegmy. Um, So in the Old Testament, you had this, this physical manifestation that you had the kingdom of God represented in Israel, who got it wrong a lot of the time, And then you had every other nation of the earth. And every other nation of the earth was under the power of those forces that were opposed to God. 
In the New Testament, we fast forward and we find that the kingdom over which Jesus rules, the new Israel, the reconstituted Israel, the the new people of God, represent the kingdom of God. And every other power on the earth, the New Testament lumps together in what the Apostle Paul here calls the cosmic powers of darkness, the evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Now, in the heavens here does not mean out there, like way out there in heaven that's separated from everything. In the heavens just means the air around us. It means the very atmosphere in which we live. And so what Paul is doing here is he's drawing attention to the fact that you've got people who follow King Jesus. You've got the kingdom of God represented by King Jesus and his people. And everything else is under these cosmic powers. Other scriptures will call them the principalities and powers. And that's the situation of the world. That's the state of the world. There's the kingdom of God and everything else. And everything else is opposed to the kingdom of God. And as Christians, we take our stand with Jesus. We take our stand with the kingdom of God. And so when we follow Jesus, this is not just giving intellectual assent or or agreeing with a set of beliefs or agreeing with some set of doctrines. This isn't something so boring as saying, yeah, I think that's true. When we bow the knee to King Jesus... We are taking a stand in a cosmic battle. We're taking a stand in a cosmic war that has been waging forever, for all of eternity. We're planting our flag with Jesus. And we're saying, I'm going to follow him. Now, if that's the case, if what I have just said is not entirely hogwash, and you haven't entirely dismissed it, then when we take a stand with Jesus, we are making of ourselves enemies of everything else enemies of those cosmic powers, enemies of those principalities and powers that the New Testament talks about, that the Apostle Paul talks about. And so we have enemies. And those enemies, as Paul reminds us here, are not human beings. They're not flesh and blood. They're not people of another nation or people of another party or people of a different ideology. They're not people of another religion. Our enemies are not those human beings in the world who represent ideas or thoughts or faiths different from our own. Our enemies are those cosmic powers that stand behind them. Our enemies are all those those spiritual forces that are behind everything that stands opposed to the kingdom of God. And so our enemies are the powers that stand behind the advertisers who are trying to tempt you into buying a bunch of stuff you don't need. They're behind the porn producers who are trying to entice you into lust and into into adultery. The powers are those which are trying to oppress and put down other people and tell you that you don't need to care about this group of people because they are different from you. Our enemies are those very people and those very powers that are trying to create the division that says, I can't be with you, I can't hang with you because you think differently than me or because you belong to another party or you're from another country or you're from this place or that place or you have this kind of background. Our enemies now are the powers and forces that are behind all of those things that are trying to take us away from Jesus, trying to lure us away and draw us away from Jesus. Those are the enemies of the church. Those are the enemies of God's people. And when we plant our flag with Jesus and we say, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to bow my knee to you, King Jesus, and be allegiant only to you, we make of ourselves enemies of all those forces, of all those powers, which means as Christians, we can expect to be attacked by them. Now, I'm not talking about in the, the kind of conspiratorial, like we're being oppressed. Let me, let me say this 
be real clear. Christians in the United States are not oppressed in any way. We are not persecuted in any way. But we can expect to come under attack by those forces that are opposed to Jesus. And so those, those temptations I have to pursue my own ambition to the harm of other people, those temptations I have to break off this relationship because I really want this one because this person's more attractive to me, the temptations that I have to ignore my kids because I really want to do this other thing, I want to play a game or I want to invest in my work or I want to give myself all to this thing so I ignore my family, the temptations that we have to pursue all the stuff that would take us away from Jesus, those are spiritual attacks. It's a real thing. It's not passive. The Christian life cannot be a passive one. We must be active. This is why it's so important that we, be, that we learn and be trained to invest in our faith, to invest in Jesus, to become closer to him, to learn more about him and to grow closer to him and, and to understand his word, to pray regularly, to invest in the community of saints, the community of God's people. This is why it is vital to us that we take an active role in our faith and we don't just rely on some prayer we prayed or the fact that we sit in a service one hour a week. But we take an active role in pursuing Christ and pursuing Jesus because if we don't, then when those attacks come, we are ill-prepared and we will fail. That's why this portion of the Lord's Prayer is so important. It's why it is vital. And it is why it is the prayer that hell fears the most. This is the prayer that the enemies of Jesus hate the most. They're most afraid of. And it's why this portion of the prayer follows the last one where we asked for forgiveness. In the last petition of the prayer, we asked that we would be forgiven and that we would be people marked out by forgiveness by the forgiveness that we've received and the forgiveness that we issue, the forgiveness that we offer. And now we come and we pray for protection. We've petitioned God for the forgiveness that can be ours only through Jesus. And God knows, Jesus knows, that when we do that, we plant our flag with him and we make of ourselves enemies of the world. And so Jesus leads us into the next one. This is now, now you're loyal to me. Now you've pronounced your allegiance to me. Now you need protection because you can't protect yourself. You're not enough. We just sang it, right? I'm not enough unless you come. I'm not enough unless you're with me, Holy Father, unless you're with me, Holy Spirit. I'm not enough to stand up to the enemies of the church. I'm not enough to stand up to the enemies of the kingdom of God. I need you, Holy Spirit. And that's what we're praying here in this portion of the prayer. Do not bring us into temptation, Jesus prays. Now, if we read that one way, we read it as though God is the one tempting us, which we're told God doesn't do. God can't tempt people to evil. So what Jesus is really praying here, and a better way to translate this is, Lord, save us from the time of testing. What we're praying in this prayer is, God, don't let me be led into a situation that is so tempting, that is so testing, I can't stand against it. I will fail. Don't let me fail, God. When we pray, don't lead us into temptation, what we're praying is to God, would you please make me strong? Would you protect me from those temptations that would cause me to fail? Because you know how weak I am. And we're asking for God to step into our situation and to make sure that we're not going to fail. 
to make sure that we're successful. And then secondly, he follows up. Don't bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliverance is not something we talk a lot about in the Reformed Church. It's kind of one of those like, oh no, that's a kind of Pentecostal thing. I don't want to mess with deliverance. It's kind of scary because a lot of us don't believe that God actually delivers people from things. We don't believe in the supernatural power because that's just weird and it's kind of out there and it's kind of different for some of us. And yet over and over in scripture, we see God delivering people out of their circumstances, delivering people out of their trial, delivering people out of their sickness and their brokenness, delivering people out of all those circumstances of life that keep them down. Our God is a delivering God. Our God and Holy Spirit is one who comes alongside of us and says, I want you to stay there. I'm going to take you out of that. And so Jesus is here encouraging us, reminding us that God is a delivering God and we can't deliver ourselves. Every one of us has some temptation, some thing within us that, that is just a little bit weaker than the other parts of us. So, some of us like to, some of us like to hold on to our virtue. We like to claim credit for our virtue when in fact our virtue is just a quirk of our personality. Like, if you've never been tempted to porn, it's not a virtue that you've never given into it. If you've never been tempted into drugs of any sort, it's not a virtue that you've stood opposed to them. If you've never had a temptation, it's not a virtue that you haven't given into that thing. It's just your personality. That's great. That's really good. I hope that stays that way. But you haven't been delivered from anything. You were never tempted in the first place. But all of us have weaknesses where when we're tempted, we're going to fall. We're going to fail. All of us have those places in our lives. And the virtue comes in when we stand opposed to those things that actually tempt us. The virtue comes in when we stand strong in the face of things that are actual temptations for us. Not just strengths of our personality but places where we have actually had to say no. And our God is the God of deliverance who delivers us from those things. If we will pray to him. Through the Old Testament, there's a, there's a phrase used for God. A lot of prayers are to the God of hosts. In uh, the Bible translation we use, the Christian Standard Bible, it reads instead, God of armies. So a lot of times throughout the Old Testament, particularly the people of God will pray to the God of armies the God of hosts, the God of angel armies. When we pray for deliverance, when we pray for protection, we're praying to the God of hosts, the God of armies, who mobilizes all of heaven on your behalf, on my behalf, to deliver us, to keep us from those things that would keep us from Jesus, to stand opposed to the principalities and powers of the world that would try and draw us away from Jesus. When we pray for deliverance, it's not just going out into the ether. This is one of the reasons why it is so ridiculous to say that prayer is more about me and my heart than it is about anything outside of me. To do that is to say we're not actually praying to someone. We're just praying as some of this like emotional exercise. But when you pray, you actually pray to a person. A person who has more power than you can possibly imagine. A person who has more love for you than you could possibly fathom. When you pray, you pray to a 
person who loves you and who has all the power in the world to protect you. You are praying to the God of hosts, who is also the God of the cross. When you pray, you reach out to the only one who has the power to do something about the things you can't do anything about. That's what we do when we pray. And that's why we pray for deliverance. And we don't stop. That's why we pray for protection. And we don't stop. It should be a daily prayer of ours. God, protect me from testing today. God, deliver me from evil today. God, root the evil out inside of me, Lord, and protect me from the evil outside of me. Make me holy like you are holy. Make me like Jesus in every way. And when we pray that prayer, God is faithful to follow through with it. We will still have times of trial. We will still have times of temptation. But our God is working within us the strength to oppose those things. And you will never know. Here's the crazy thing about this, right? You and I will absolutely never know the things that God actually protected us from. Because we didn't have to walk through them. How many things in my life have I not had to deal with because God's protected me from them? How many things in my life do I have to be grateful for that I never saw because God protected me because I asked him to? This is why we pray for protection. And so if you're like, hey, I've been praying for protection and, and stuff just hasn't happened. Great, it's working. Good job. There are so many things in your life that God has protected you from that you're not even aware of. And so we pray for protection. We pray for deliverance. And then there will be those moments in your life of real victory, of real glory, where you will be able to look back and say, yes, I was in a hole. I was in hell, and God pulled me out. Yes, I was stuck. I was in that mud. I couldn't move, and God delivered me. And it may be God used that person to deliver me, or God used the church to deliver me, or God brought me to this place. It's not always through supernatural means. It's more often through his people who he's mobilized to show you love. And so maybe you're that for somebody today. Maybe you are the protection that God is giving someone else today. Maybe you're the one who's running interference and standing in the gap and keeping someone else from that time of testing. Maybe you're the deliverance that someone needs. Maybe you're looking at someone in the room or you're looking at someone in your life or God is reminding you of someone right now who he wants you to be the deliverance for. He wants you to stand in the gap for and to pray for them, to pray for their deliverance, to pray for their protection, and then to go to them and help them walk out of that situation. And when we pray this, God is faithful to do it for us. He's faithful because he's already defeated those principalities and powers. All those powers that are opposed to Jesus, all the forces of evil that are opposed to Jesus and opposed to his church, he's already beat them. He's already won against them. There, ha there can be no question of the church failing. There can be no question of a follower of Jesus failing because Jesus has already won. This is where we turn to a Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Listen to what the apostle says here. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. 
He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and he's taken it away by nailing it to the cross. There's that petition, forgive us, Lord. But listen as we come into the next one. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. There's that prayer for deliverance. This follows the Lord's prayer where the apostles reminding us we've been forgiven by Jesus, but not merely forgiven. We've been protected by the, from the forces of evil that Jesus has defeated in the cross. He's already won. He's beat it all. There's nothing that we need to be afraid of because Jesus has conquered it all in the cross. And he did that by opening his arms wide and allowing all of those forces of evil, all those spiritual powers, all the powers and principalities, allowing them to exhaust themselves in killing his body on the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, he was submitting to all the forces of evil in the world. He was giving his body over to all the forces of evil in the world and allowing them to kill his body so that he could defeat them once and for all. All the forces of evil in the world, all the spiritual powers opposed to the church have no power. They've exhausted it in killing the body of Jesus. And on that third day, after he let them destroy his body, Jesus declared his victory by rising from the grave, by taking up his life again. Jesus has once for all defeated everything that stands opposed to you and me. Everything that would try and draw us away has already been beaten by him in his cross and resurrection. We have nothing to fear. And so we go to our God and we confidently ask, God, deliver us from evil. Keep us from the time of testing. Don't let us fail. You've already won the victory over everything that's opposed to me. Let me walk in that victory, Jesus. Let me walk in your authority and your power in your victory over sin and death and the grave. God, let me be someone else's deliverance. Let me be someone else's protection because I know you've protected me, because you've delivered me, because you've given me your power, because you've given me your victory over all the forces of evil in the world. Let me be the source of someone else's salvation. Not in a salvific way, not in like we can be Jesus to people. But God can use us to save others, to bring others into his kingdom by standing in the gap for them, by being the deliverance they need, just as Jesus has been for us, just as someone else was for you when they came to you and they shared with you the love of God in Christ, just as the church has been for you as it has ministered to you the love of, that is yours in Jesus, the victory that he has won. Let us be the deliverance and the victory that others need today, just as Jesus has been for us, just as he was on that cross when his body was broken and his blood was shed. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.